Hello. Good morning, friends. If you'll stand and as we read the word, we're going to read from John 15, 1 through 5. It says, I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Beth. Yeah, you guys have a seat. Um, If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to John 15, right where Beth was just now. Um, That's where we're going to hang out. So as we kick off this new year, um, and we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, but it's just been uh, our heart as the the pastors here at Eastridge to sort of help uh, all of us to start this new year just looking at the very simple and basic things of Christianity and what it is to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to walk with God, with Jesus, to, to live in him and abide in him and have an actual relationship with God. Do you ever think about that, that reality that God has called us into a relationship with him, that he's not just sort of creator in creation, right? As he is that, but he's not just that, right? He's not just shepherd and sheep, right? He is that, but he's not just that. Um, the, the New Testament and Jesus really kind of initiates this with his followers is that he becomes father to children, right? And that's relationship, isn't it? It's, it's a God who is God and is creator and is holy and is righteous and is just and is so far beyond us and above us and better than us. And yet a God that calls us into real relationship with him, to know him and walk with him and be loved by him and to love him. Um, and so the heartbeat of this series as we jump into this, this idea of knowing God is that Here's the thing. A lot of people know a lot of things about God. But the series is not called Knowing About God. That's not what we're going to be talking about today. That's not what we're going to talk about for the next five weeks. The series is called Knowing God. And that matters. Do you get the difference? Knowing about God means you know some facts. You can fill your head with things about who he is. You can read all through this Bible. And there are people all over the world that know a lot about his word and what it says about him and theology. And there, there are scholars of scripture who know all sorts of things about God and do not know him. Don't love him. Don't follow him. Reject who he is. In fact, there are atheists who are New Testament scholars in this world and teach it at universities. Do you know this? They, they exist. They know all sorts of stuff about the Bible and about God. They don't know him. And that's not the life that God has called us into as Christians. God has not called us to a life to know just about him, to just fill our heads with facts and be divorced from an actual abiding relationship with him. And so this much has been true all throughout scripture and all throughout history. As we, as we read through the Bible, we see three things that I want to kind of help us key in on as we, as we jump off uh, today. Um, these three things are absolutely true, that God knows us, number one, 
God knows us. God knows everything about us. And there are going to be some, some scriptures up here. I don't have time to read every single one of these scriptures, but if you want to write those down, take a picture of it real quick, just to kind of go read those a little bit later. Psalm 139 once says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Right? Psalm 139 is that fearfully and wonderfully made uh, passage just all about how God knows us so deeply, knows us intimately, right? He knows everything about us. Matthew 10, 30 says, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you, every cell in your body, every thought, every desire, every passion, every dream, everything good and bad that we do or don't do. God knows us, right? We know this to be true throughout scripture. Number two is this, that God wants us to know him. The Bible is full of this truth. God desires that we would know him the way that he knows us. John 10, 14 and 15 says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That Jesus as the shepherd of the sheep, he wants us to actually know him, right? And God, God is just clear on this all throughout the Bible. Yes, I know you and I want you to know me. And number three, that is clear from scripture is that knowing God is the key to a godly life. And that makes sense, right? That if you want to have a godly life, you want to live a godly life, that you got to know God, right? It wouldn't make any sense to try to live a godly life or to think we could possibly live a godly life without actually knowing the God who defines what godliness is, right? And I, I think as we read through the New Testament, especially that Greek uh, word of godliness, that word that we see, it, pro it, it pops up all throughout the New Testament, um, especially just about being godly and living a godly life. Um, that, that Greek word really comes with the connotation of sort of the whole scope of the Christian life, that word godliness. It's a life lived God word, right? And everything that I do, I consider him. I want to know him. I want to draw near to him. I think about him. I, I love him and I serve him. And he is sort of the foundation of everything that I say and do and think and plan and dream all the time. It's God, that's godliness, right? And so the key to that is knowing God. You can't be a godly person. And listen, I hope as you start off 2024 here, my hope is, and I pray this, um, that us as a church, that you as an individual Christian person, I hope that your New Year's resolution, at least one of them, is to be more godly. I hope that's a resolution for you. Maybe you haven't written that down, but if nothing else in your life is, is a goal for you this year, that must be one of them, that we grow in our godliness. We grow in our, our ability to just walk with him and know him and live out the commands that he has given us. Um, one of the scriptures right here, Philippians 1.9. Um, Philippians 1, 9 says that love abounds in knowledge. You might be wondering, why isn't this series called Loving God? Right? It's called knowing God. Why isn't it called loving God? Isn't loving God the whole point? Didn't Jesus say that the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It is. That's true. Loving God is the point. Loving God is the goal that we would love him and be, be in that relationship with him. But here's the thing. You can't love someone you don't know. You get what I'm saying? You, you can say that you love somebody that you don't know. Like there are people that say they love Taylor Swift. You might say that you love Taylor Swift. And I, I get what you mean when you say that, but you don't know her. So you can't actually love her. Not the way that you, you love your mom. You love your dad. You love your siblings. You love your best friends, right? These are people that you know. And Paul says in Philippians 1.9 that love abounds in knowledge, that he's praying for the Philippians that they would grow in their knowledge and discernment so that they can approve what is excellent and then bear the fruit of righteousness in their lives. That's godliness, right? That if we want to bear the fruit of righteousness, if we want to live godly lives, we got to know God so that we then abound in our love for God and we want to obey him 
in all that we do. And so that's why this series is the first series of the year, and that's why it's called Knowing God. So if you'll look at me with John, um, in, into John 15, Jesus in his kind of last, um, last, last ditch efforts, right, before he goes to the cross to talk to his disciples and sort of drill down into them some of the most important things that he wants them to know. He spends the, the last supper with them, that, that communion time with them talking to them about loving one another and serving one another and then what he was going to do. And that's where we get the communion thing that we just did, right? The, the worship of Jesus through the taking of communion because we're remembering his sacrifice. And that's where he instituted that. But then as he walks towards the garden where he would be arrested, he, he continues having this discourse with his disciples about what it's going to look like for them and it seems like uh, John, in particular, John the Apostle, he, he just sort of remembered this uh, half the book of John, right? Is really the, the night before leading up to the cross. That's, that's half of the gospel of John, right? And he spends so much time just thinking about and remembering the things that Jesus said right before he was arrested, right before he went to die for the sins of the world. And then he writes the book of 1 John later, and he, it seems like he's still just reflecting on these words right here. So this is John 15. And you gotta just kind of picture Jesus. He's walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane where he's gonna be arrested. Jerusalem's full of vineyards, right? So he's probably got this imagery that he's able to use with his disciples as he's walking and talking with them, this kind of vine and vine dresser and fruit bearing imagery that he uses here. So John 15, here's what Jesus says. And just, just listen to these words in the context of knowing God and walking in relationship with him. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Other uh, translations say the vine dresser, right? He's the one who tends the garden, right, of our lives. And he does that through who? Through, through Jesus, who is the vine. So maybe Jesus is kind of seeing these vineyards and he's drawing the, the disciples' attention to it. And he's going, look, you, you guys know what vines are, right? And you know how branches are connected to vines and they get all their life energy from the vines. I want you to understand that I'm the realest vine there is. I'm the true vine. That's what he said. Truest vine, the real vine. All other vines in the world, God created so that they would point to an illustration of who Jesus is as the real vine. Do you know that? You know why vines exist? Vines exist so that we would have a way of understanding Jesus better. Bread exists so that we'd have a way of understanding that he's the bread of life. Water exists so that we could see Jesus and know that he is the sustenance and the water of our souls, right? All the things that God created in this world exist to point to Jesus and show us his glory and who we are in him and who he is in us, right? And so he says, I'm the true vine. Verse two, now listen, this is so critical the way Jesus puts this imagery for us. He says, he, God, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, the goal of the Christian life, here, here it is. It's the bearing of fruit to the glory of God. That is the goal of the Christian life. That is why you exist as a child of God, as a son or a daughter of God, to ultimately bear the fruit of God, the fruit, the New Testament calls it the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of godliness, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, we'll read that in a minute. But to bear the fruit of God unto the glory of God, that he is glorified in our lives, through our lives, in everything that we do. Jesus said in Matthew 5, let your light shine before man. That's what? Bearing fruit so that others may see your good deeds, fruit, and glorify God, glorify your father 
in heaven, right? So this is the goal of the Christian life. This is why we were created. And all those scriptures right there point to that exact same reality. This has been the truth throughout all of redemptive history that God wants to put inside of us a new heart. That's Ezekiel 36, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that he wants to make you a new creation. Philippians 2, 13, it says that God works in you to will and work for his good pleasure, right? God wants to bring out of you goodness, the goodness of the work that he's producing in you to come out of you so that the world can see that he lives in you. He's abiding in you and he's bearing fruit in your life. Let's look at Galatians uh, chapter five. And you guys know this passage. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but you can. Um, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. That there, okay, so back to why isn't this series called Loving God? Because love is a fruit of knowing God, right? So we know God and he lives in us by his spirit. And then the fruit of that is what? It's to love. It's loving him and loving others. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Do you hear it? The goal of the Christian life is to bear the fruit that God is working inside of us to bear, being in Christ. And then he goes on, Jesus says, 15, John 15, verse three, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, what he means by that is just already you have been, he's talking to his disciples, right? Like he's spent three years teaching them, walking with them, training them, like showing them who he is and what he desires and what he wants. They have heard so much from him. They've heard him say things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. They've heard him say, I'm the resurrection and the life. John 11, 25. They've heard him say, I'm the bread of life. John 6, 35. They've heard him say, I'm the light of the world. John 8, 12. They've heard him say, I'm the good shepherd. John 10, 11. So all of those things they've heard, right? And so he's just talking about this work has already begun in you. The word that I've spoken to you has already begun to help you and, and to show you who I am and to make you clean. That's what he says, right? So it's sort of like, man, when we first come to believe and first start to see who God is, is in Jesus Christ. Like this work is beginning in us. So Jesus is telling him, this work has begun in you by all that you've heard me say and do, right? But, but if you want to continue in me, man, you got to abide in me and bear the fruit that God desires for you. And to do that, you have to remain connected to me. So the work of God begins in you when, yes, you believe the gospel. When you hear for the first time, maybe that Jesus is the son of God who came and who died on a cross for your sins, who rose again for your salvation. When you first heard that and first believed that truth, that, that faith connects you with God and brings you to life and makes you a Christian person. But now the question is, what do I do now? Where do I go from there? That's kind of what Jesus is getting at with his disciples. This work's already begun in you. You're already clean by the word that I've spoken to you. But now what do we do? Verses four and five, he says this, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, uh, my version, the old NIV version here says uh, remain. Your version may say a different word. It may say the word abide. That's sort of the older school version. I like that word abide. Everybody just say abide, abide, right? Abide means to remain. It's a, it's a good translation. Abide means to remain. Abide means um, to stay, to dwell, to continue, to endure, even to wait, 
like to just, to just kind of sit and dwell in a specific place. Y'all, the Christian life is not merely a one-time experience of having heard the gospel and believing it. Praise God if that's true of you. But it's not just a one-time experience of having heard it and believe it, and then you just sit back and you do nothing for the rest of your life, sitting on the bench watching life go by and everybody else play the game. The Christian life is you've heard it, you believed it, Jesus has changed you and he's now put his spirit inside of you to do exactly what he says here, to now remain in him and abide in him, continue, I like that word, continue in him for the rest of your life, now being filled with his spirit to go and do the things and live the life that he's calling you into. You know, the Christian life is not just a one-time transformation. It's a continual transformation, and it's an invitation into something so much more than that. And I just fear that there are Christians, maybe here in this room, that you really are a Christian, and yet you somehow have bought into the, the propaganda, maybe, that Christianity is about walk through those doors twice a month, find your seat, Listen, go to Zaxby's. Like that's Christianity. And it's just, man, I'll come and I'll kind of get my little Jesus pill when I need it. If I maybe had a bad week or my family's in town, so we'll go to church. Or I just think we're missing out on remaining, on abiding in Jesus, like really, truly, fully abiding in him. I think it's kind of the difference of a home in a hotel. Jesus is not a hotel, he's a home. We don't go visit Jesus when it's convenient or when we go on vacation somewhere or whatever, right? Like a hotel, just a place we go and it's exciting and it's fun and we stay there for a week and then we leave. Jesus wants to be your home. It must be where you live, that everything you do, everything that you are, everything that you think, everything that you say, everything that you plan, every ounce of money that you have, it's his for his glory. Every plan that you make for your life, it's his for his glory. Parents, the way that you parent, it's his for his glory. Your marriage is his for his glory. Your job is his for his glory. We don't separate these things out and go to Hotel Jesus on Sundays and then come back to reality. And we live in him. We remain in him. Everything that I do, he informs and he guides and he teaches and he trains. So how does he abide in us? How does that work? What does it mean that he abides in us and we abide in him? Here's a truth that we need to know that we begin and continue in Christ. So that remaining in Christ, that abiding in Christ, we begin and we continue in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what he's talking about here, when he says, I'm abiding in you, you're abiding in me, you gotta remain in me. This is the work that he does in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, you see some scriptures there, John 3, 3. So when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, nobody can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again, born again. That's the beginning of that, right? That's the, that's the start of that. That's when the Holy Spirit enters into you and opens your eyes, the eyes of your heart to see Jesus for who he is. He brings you to life. He gives birth to you spiritually and you see Jesus and you know Jesus, but then it doesn't end there. It continues there. And I wanna read you uh, Galatians. In Galatians chapter three, 
Paul says this to the Galatians, just a, a simple little kind of question that he asks him here. He says, are you so foolish after beginning with the spirit that's being born again, right? You have believed the gospel, the spirit now lives in you. After beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? So he's just asking them this question because the Galatians were struggling with this idea. Okay, man, I, I began in Christ. I, I, I came to faith in him because yeah, the Holy Spirit like allows me to now see Jesus for who he is. And I love Jesus and I'm following Jesus and I'm worshiping Jesus. But now I got to take it upon myself and I got to white knuckle my faith for the rest of my life, right? And I got to make it my goal to do all the things that I want to do by my own strength. I got to do good things for God. And Paul's just going, wait, 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 wait. Listen, I love that your intention is to do good things for God. But Christianity ain't about just doing things. It's first and foremost about being in Christ and knowing him and loving him and understanding that that spirit who began the good work in you will bring you to completion at the day of Christ. That's Philippians 1, same idea. You don't begin by the Holy Spirit and then continue in your own power. You begin and you continue in the power of the Holy Spirit, always. That's abiding in him. So God has put his spirit within us. First John 4, 13, it was up there a second ago. First John 4, 13 says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us, he has given us his spirit. This is how we know. How do you know that you're abiding in Christ, that he is living and dwelling in you because the spirit lives in us. And so we begin and we continue in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, God doesn't just want to save us. He doesn't just want to save us and, and bring us to a knowledge of the truth of the gospel and then leave us on our own. He dwells in us. He lives in us and he abides in us by the spirit so that we may then walk in continual love for him and understanding of him. In other words, the Christian life that Jesus is inviting us into is about more than, again, more than knowing facts. It's about knowing God and an abiding relationship with him. This has always been the point that we would know God and love God and walk with God. And don't miss the last little bit of what he says in John 15. Um, and I'm gonna read kind of the last paragraph of this. So he says, I am the vine, starting in verse five, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. There's that, that fruit that God's trying to bear out of us, bring out of us by the spirit working within us. But then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing apart from Jesus, right? That's what he said. You can do nothing. That's, that's a crazy thing to say. Do you ever like read something like that and just go, what? Like, I, I do a lot of things. People all the time, everybody around the world who doesn't know Jesus does lots of things apart from Jesus, right? All, all day long, every day. People live their lives in their families, in their jobs, seeking after their own pleasures, their own plans, their own hopes, their own dreams. Lots of people are doing lots of things without Jesus, without abiding in Jesus. What does he mean when he says apart from me? You can do nothing. What he means is, apart from me, you can do nothing that really matters. Nothing of eternal significance. Nothing that bears the fruit of godliness in your life. And then he goes on and kind of qualifies that. I think what Jesus is doing here is kind of helping us see as he continues to talk what, what that means, what that looks like. Verse six, if anyone does not remain in me, He's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. 
Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. So notice that he follows this, you can do nothing up with a lot of things that it would be impossible for anybody to do without abiding in Christ. The ability to know and actively seek and do the will of God. That's what he just said, right? Like you can't know and actively seek to do God's will in your life without abiding in Jesus. You won't want to, you won't care to, right? Romans chapter eight is all where, where Paul is kind of describing the life of the Holy Spirit, right? Where he, man, he just is making the case that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in you, apart from an abiding relationship with Christ, you don't want to do the things of God. You don't want to submit to his will. He said right here, the ability to bring glory to the father, it will bring delight to the heart of a person who knows God to bring glory to God. Somebody who's not abiding in Christ, somebody who's not walking with God has no delight in his glory, does not care for him to be glorified in their lives. And Jesus is just saying, this is what I want to do in you. This is the thing that you cannot do without me. The ability to know and to show the love of the father, the ability to keep the commandments of God. This is first John. I want to flip over to first John real quickly. First John chapter four, verse seven, he says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. And everyone who loves God has been born of God. And listen, knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. You can love in some worldly version of love and the world, love is a junk drawer word in our world. Y'all know that? Like love is a word that just our world is taken and twisted and made to mean something it doesn't really mean. God's kind of love, agape love is what it is in the Greek. This sacrificial love that abides in Jesus and that seeks the glory of God and the good of others is only possible through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's only possible through that. And he says in 1 John 5, 3, he says this, this is love for God to obey his commands. And listen, his commands are not burdensome. That, that's a key phrase because, man, this is love for God to obey him. Like anybody can just obey blindly, kind of do some of the commandments of God, but then he adds, and it's not burdensome. You want to know if you know God, if you're walking with God, if you love God in relationship with him, are his commands burdensome to you? Or do you love the law of the Lord? Do you love the glory of God and seek to do that every day because it brings joy to your heart? And this is what it means to know God and to walk with God. In short, the Christian life is about knowing God and loving him in true relationship. And he bought this for us by the blood of his own son, Jesus. This is what Jesus purchased for us the opportunity and ability to have relationship with God by his blood, by his body put on the cross for our sins. Without that, we're separated from, that's what sin is, is separation from God. And so Jesus paid the price so that not just that you would come to know some stuff, but that you would come to know God and be able to walk with him in abiding relationship through faith in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why Jesus says 
that there will be some on the day of judgment who come to him when we all stand before Jesus face to face at the resurrection of the dead. Jesus is going to resurrect. I don't know if you know this, the just and the unjust. He's going to resurrect Christians and non-Christians. Everybody's going to be resurrected. And we will all stand before him in judgment. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, well, I'm starting verse 21. Not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. There it is again, bearing fruit, right, through an abiding relationship. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles? God, didn't I do lots of good things? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's the scariest verse in the Bible for me. There's going to be a day when you and I stand face to face with him. You can't avoid this day. It will come. And on that day, you will not have a bargaining chip with which to purchase your way into his kingdom forever. It will not be a bargaining chip that is about something that you have accomplished on your own strength. Some, some, some good, even good intended act of service that you did in the name of God, just on your own power and your own strength and your own will and your own plans. The only thing that will matter in that moment is do you know him? And does he know you? We already said God knows you. He knows everything about you. But what he's talking about there, I never knew you. That's relationship because relationship takes two people. Yeah, God knows you. But Jesus is still going to say, I never knew you. Because you never wanted to walk with me in relationship. Y'all, that is what this series is all about. That we want to be sure that we know God. And that we're following him in Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit and learning to walk in him and glorify him and bear the fruit that he's calling us to bear. Not for our glory, for his glory. Not in my strength, in his strength. Not according to what I want to do in my plans, but his and his will. That we submit everything to him. And so, like Jesus is saying here, if we are the branches and he is the vine... The father, as the vine dresser, as the gardener, he has, to, he has to do the work there, right? He has to till up that soil, so to speak. He has to prune us. He has to water us. He has to enrich our lives. He has to weed out the worldliness from our hearts. He has to position us to be in proper light, to receive the light that we're supposed to receive. Anybody in here garden? Is that not hard work? Gardening's hard work, and it takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of effort. And God wants to do this work in your life in 2024. He wants to do it. It is God, Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you to will and to work. You know what that means? To want and to actually do his will. To want his will and to do his will. God's doing that work in you to, to, to do both. And if you will allow that work to happen, he will do all those things like a good gardener. He'll prune you. He'll position you. He'll weed out the worldliness. He'll enrich your soil. He'll give you proper light. He'll protect you from predators stupid deer, eat my tomatoes. Like God wants to protect us from the predators that are trying to steal the faith and the joy and the hope that we have in him. He will guard you and he will guide you. He will give you proper structure. 
And so for the next few weeks, here's my, here's my encouragement to you. Listen, lean into what God's doing. Lean into what God's doing in your life and, and just ask yourself the question, do I really know him? And if you do, if you have come to faith in him already in Jesus, then he's just calling you, okay, I wanna know you better. I wanna know you better and I want you to know me better. And so I want you to grow in godliness. And so we're gonna walk through a few things over the next few weeks that, listen, are gonna sound really simple and elementary, like reading the Bible, like praying and fasting, like learning how to live with open hands and give of our resources, learning how to serve in the church, learning how to witness and evangelize and make disciples, all those basic things. But if we will do those things, listen, we'll find that those are God's garden tools in our lives. That God's just, man, he's weeding things out, he's putting good soil in, and he's helping us to grow and bear the fruit that he's calling us to bear. And it's all about knowing him, walking with him. And I want you to know the Bible, yes, but I want you to know the God of the Bible. It's great if you know this thing, but it's better if you know God who gave you this thing so that we can know him. So that's what we're gonna talk about. Y'all, as we sing this last song, um, I wanna invite you. There's boards over here in the corners. Now we wrote on these boards a couple of months ago, um, back in August, and uh, we started to write some things down just of what we've seen God do in our lives and what we're praying that God would continue to do. And I just thought, man, this is a great series to bring this idea back out for all of us as a, as a church just to kind of make a, make a stake so mu a, a little bit in the sand here and just go, man, I've, God, I've seen you do this. And on the other board, God, I'm praying that you would do this. And I wanna see, God, your work in my life. And so as we sing this next song, man, if you want to, you don't have to do this, but if you wanna stand and go over to these boards and just write some things down, maybe you've already written on those boards, you just wanna add something to it. Um, just write down any way that God has already worked in your life, what he's done. And any way that you're praying to see God's work in your life to grow you in the knowledge of him this year what he's going to do. And you would just write those things down and continue in prayer. Um, I'll, I'll hang out over here. And if there's any prayer team that wants to come down too, um, we'd love to pray for you as well. If you need prayer for anything this morning. So next five weeks, listen, be here and let's seek after the knowledge of God that we would know him and grow in him and bear the fruit of godliness in our lives. Let me pray for us and let's worship him. God, we love you. We do love you. Help us to know you better so that our love would abound in that knowledge. Draw us into worship now, God. Just let us lift up your name because you are a good and faithful God to us. In Jesus' name, amen.